Podcast, journeying together in community into deep discipleship. I'm Brian Fisher. And I'm Kyle Moody. And we're back this week in the Greenhouse episodes. If you're not familiar with what those are, every other episode, Kyle and I, and sometimes Doc, yes. come together and we try to emulate what happens in a greenhouse, mm-hmm. uh, at least part of what happens in a greenhouse. A greenhouse is a community of between four and 12 folks who meet together for three hours a week. It's a time commitment but one of the best time commitments we've ever made yeah it sounds like a lot but man it's it flies. Just, it's oh, and it's so enriching every single time and we practice certain rhythms that help us to become more like jesus mm-hmm. so there are four rhythms we have reflection exploration soul care and spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits and every week we spend some really amazing time to get together working oh, through yeah. those things we talk about story quite mm-hmm. a bit uh it's deep yeah, Deep discipleship is. for sure. Yeah. So one of those times is called exploration, and we actually use the podcast as sort of the foundation for that. So we work very slowly through the podcast episodes in order, and we discuss and explore what is deep discipleship? Mm-hmm. What is spiritual formation? What's the great omission? What do we mean by the formation gap? And it is a very rich section of the greenhouse uh, rhythms because the conversations are very, very dialogue centric, mm-hmm. no monologue, all dialogue. Yep. And very, very rich. It's a great opportunity to ask questions that you might otherwise be afraid to ask or things that you've been really wrestling with and you just want to bounce ideas off of people. It's a safe place to do that. And that has been so amazing and incredible. Uh, to be able to be a part of that. Our greenhouse has eight folks uh, from different stages. And in fact, in our case, different parts of the country. So we have a hybrid group. Mm -hmm. So a few of us are located locally, the Moody's and the Fishers. And then we have four other folks, some from another part of Texas, and then all the way up in the great state of Pennsylvania. Yep. Different backgrounds, different denominations, uh, different perspectives, Mm -hmm. but it works. Yep. So if you are yearning, for a deeper experience in Jesus, if you're wondering about stages four, five, and six of the spiritual journey, uh, Greenhouse uh, may be for you. So yeah. you can find more information on that on the website. And uh, as always, you can reach out to us if you have questions or would like to form one mm-hmm. or be a part of one. So anyway, this is the Greenhouse episode. So Kyle and I and Tim get together and we basically mimic what happens in the exploration section of an actual Greenhouse meeting. And that is we rip apart what's been presented and we dive into it and we relate it to our stories, we relate it to the grand narrative of the Bible, and we relate it to our own hearts as mm-hmm. we seek to transform those hidden ideas from darkness to light. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. So we're in this really cool miniseries. I'm really enjoying this little section of the Forgotten Kingdom. Me too. About qualities of a deep disciple mm-hmm. that may not be right there on the surface. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is looking at Jesus as if we were just hanging out with him, watching him, observing him in his tribe Mm -hmm. and saying, uh, in addition to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control and the gifts of the spirit and the Beatitudes, are there other qualities of a deep disciple that we can glean from him by observation? Mm -hmm. And we've talked about three so far, courageous curiosity, 
Jesus models that all over the place. Particularity, big word, meaning mm-hmm. that we notice, we pay attention, we seek the individual and the individual's heart. We are attuned to individual hearts. And then last time, mm-hmm. <laughs> deep disciple practices releasing control. Oh, boy. First impressions uh, as you walk through that episode. It's a testament to the power and gentleness and caring of God that this episode happened at this point in my life mm. because for the last several months I have been and my wife have been wrestling with these issues of control like what does that look like how do we do that and we've both been feeling that God has been guiding us into areas where he is strongly encouraging us to release control uh, yeah, so I'm just going to dive right into it. Again, it's so great that you remind everybody that this is what a greenhouse is like, like that we're following those same rhythms and those same intentionalities, that it's it's about just jumping in and asking these questions and wrestling with this stuff. So the first thing, uh, towards the very beginning of the podcast that you were talking about, uh, was about mental illness. Mm. And why don't we talk more about that? I thought that was a great question. And I think there's so many layers to that and so many reasons why we don't discuss mental illness. Uh, before I say anything, I, what? so why do you think most people don't talk more about mental illness? Well, there's probably a few answers. I mean, in the general culture, it is being talked about, I think, right. in, in with great effect. So certainly in the last five or ten years, we've seen a, a remarkable increase in studies and treatments and just a public conversation around mental illness, which I think is very good. Mm-hmm. In the church, <laughs> mm. uh, we're not supposed to be depressed or anxious. You know, we love Jesus. I was in a conversation this week with a Christian, and uh, we were talking about uh, just mental illness in general. And he said, well, you know, but as Christians, you know, we have, we, there's no reason for us to be anxious. We have hope. And he said it in a, in a dismissive um, sort of doesn't everybody know this way? And, you know, I've sat there sort of quietly processing. I think that's inside the church. Probably the, the problem is that we, there's a lot of guilt and shame. If we experience um, depression, anxiety, other mental, spiritual conditions that cause us angst, because a good Christian, one of the good guys are not supposed to experience those things if we truly love Jesus. And so to confess that is to cast shame on yourself. So do you think it's just, they're just pulling out the verses that be anxious for nothing, do not be, do not worry. I mean, all that. So they're just taking it very literally and saying, we should never, ever worry about Mm -hmm. anything. That's the underlying, despite the fact that in the same book, Paul confesses his anxiety about Epaphroditus. I can't understand why somebody would, because I grew up thinking that too. Like if you worry or if you stress out over something, then some you're doing you're not you're not following Jesus closely enough. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the ideal Christian, it just sort of goes through life with this very sort of, oh well, that happened, but you know what, everything's good. Bummer. But that that's not realistic. And even the best of us struggle and wrestle and go through things that, and I think it's important to bring those to God and important to talk to Him about that stuff. Yeah, I agree. It's just not it's not socially acceptable in some church communities, not not all. Right. But certainly in some places if you were to divulge that you were struggling with or had struggled with 
some sort of mental illness, there's going you, you are going to be judged. Well, sure. You yeah. are going to be judged. And there's so there's a reluctance to have that conversation because which one of us wants to be judged? Right. And the thing is, is that, I mean, and again, I'm looking at it from a very wounded, <laughs> broken perspective, but I would think most people in a church are dealing with some kind of mental Probably. illness. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, yeah, I mean, of varying degrees. Right, yeah, sure, right, sure. absolutely. I mean, everybody experiences anxiety at some point, or a lot of people have been through some sort of depression episode at some point in their lives. So do you think people don't want to talk about it because they don't know how to fix it? They don't know the right, quote-unquote, right words to say if somebody comes up and says, I'm really wrestling with this, or I'm really struggling, I'm really depressed. They don't know how to fix it, so they're, they just shy well, away from entering into that? So I heard a great sermon one time. It was a missionary who had come through a, the, our church, and did a whole sermon on depression. Mm. And it was really good. Yeah. Um, it was clear that, you know, numerous Bible characters experienced it. It's a, it's a, it's an illness that is real, uh, chemically and psychologically, spiritually mm-hmm. in some cases. And at the end he said, we just need more Jesus. That was his solution. Uh, okay. So the solution to depression is more Jesus. And mm. I sat there saying, I have no clue what that's supposed to yeah, mean. Yeah, what does that mean? And the reality is that he didn't know what it meant. Right. So yes, I think there are many of us in church who are surrounded by people who struggle with emotional, mental challenges, many of them related to control, which is our topic. Mm-hmm. And we have not been trained or taught even how to relate, mm. much less quote unquote, try to fix somebody, which is what we're always trying to do. Mm-hmm. But how do we love somebody? How do we relate to somebody who deals with profound fear, insecurity, anxiety, depression? You can go down the list. Um, and in many cases, by the way, there's lots of folks that struggle with those things and they're not even conscious that they're struggling with those things. So right. yeah. you ha- at some point, you know, we, we have to be aware of the state in which we find ourselves. So I think there's a fear of judgment, but there is, yeah, there's a, I mean, in the episode we mentioned, it's 40 some percent of pastors have never even touched the subject right. in any sort of public form. Mm. Now, when you say that we're not properly trained, what do you mean by that? Well, Kurt Thompson's done a lot of work on this. Um, so he is a psychiatrist. I don't resonate with everything that he, he explores, but he's an interesting thinker. I think he presents uh, shame in a really interesting light. His his most recent book is called The Deepest Place. It is specifically about the role of suffering mm-hmm. in Christian communities. And his perspective is one of the best ways to approach our anxiety, our depression, our fears is through what he calls confessional communities. Mm-hmm. And they're not, they're somewhat similar to greenhouses. They're, they're more clinical because he's approaching it from a, you know, a psychiatric standpoint, but mm-hmm. a confessional community in his world is a group that gathers uh, fairly regularly to share story mm-hmm. in a group that practices kindness mm-hmm. and, uh, a willingness to enter into that suffering with the person who's struggling. Mm, okay. And they train the facilitators and the groups on, well, what does that look like? Mm. So how do we relate to somebody who is experiencing extraordinary shame? How do we, how do we, what, what is our facial expression mm-hmm. to somebody mm. who is in the midst of anxiety? Mm. How are we bodily evidencing our love and concern for somebody? Mm. Not just saying, Oh, I'll, you know, oh, I'll pray for you. Right. Oh, we'll pray more for you, which is fine. 
however, it's it's wanting. That that right. is a that is typically a, a wanting answer to somebody who's in the midst of some control oriented struggle. Yeah. He believes spiritual formation is best done in like minded, like hearted groups. Mm-hmm. Um and where story is invited to be shared and received in a way that embodies kindness, gentleness, self-control, mercy, grace. Those things are just sort of built into the nature of the community. And, you know, his, he cites numerous testimonies of people who have been healed uh, over time because of being in a group where they experience Jesus maybe for the first time outside of their church. Yeah. Wow. Well, and that feeds in to that Adam Young quote that you had on the podcast about anxiety is the experience we feel when our bodies have a deep reservoir of unfelt emotions. So that goes along right with what you're saying is that so many people are carrying around this stuff that they don't even know they might not even be aware of, or they buried it so deep that it's manifesting itself in all these other ways. And they don't, I mean, they, they're experiencing anxiety, they're experiencing depression, and they might not even know why, because all of these things, I just love the visual of that, a deep reservoir of unfelt emotions. It's like all this stuff that's just bubbling and churning and is desperate to come out, but for whatever reason, we're not doing that. So again, a question would be, how do we appropriately express those emotions? I mean, well... Again, I don't want to answer my own question. So, how would we? Yes, you do. <laughs> I do, but blind. I don't. I know, but I don't. Uh, yeah. So, how would we appropriately express those emotions? Like, what would that look like? I'm not sure. There's a formula. I think, to some extent, there are numerous patterns in the Bible of people who, firstly, have the courage to become aware mm-hmm. of their own stories. Mm-hmm. And aware of the emotions attached to those pieces of their stories. And that's stage four, right? The journey inward? Uh, that's part, it's often, t- yeah, it's often part of the wall mm-hmm. and the journey inward mm-hmm. in the spiritual the spiritual path that we're all on. Everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. I mean, every single person walking on the planet has a story. Mm-hmm. And those stories are filled with harms and hurts and joys and successes and moments of incredible wonder and moments of incredible sorrow. Mm-hmm. The, the idea behind anxiety is that it is the result of not attaching, not expressing the proper emotion to the story. Mm-hmm. And usually we're talking about negative pieces of our story. So the heart sort of wells up and starts to exert control because it has this pressure of unresolved conflict that is not being allowed to find expression. So in the Bible, we have lament. That's mm-hmm. one of, that's becoming, you're seeing this more and more in different circles of modern Christianity, teaching how to lament. Yeah. Going back to Job, going back to Lamentations, going back to the Psalms where we find, you know, extraordinary laments. And reminding us that we have the freedom and the liberty to express very negative emotions to God. Mm-hmm. I think the first step is being aware of our stories and doing the hard work of exploring how our hearts are reacting to those parts in the stories and then finding positive, creative, appropriate ways of expressing and reconnecting those dots. I mean, modern neuroscientists, whether it's Thompson or 
Dan Siegel or Jim Wilder would say, um, it actually heals the brain. Like <laughs> you're training the brain to reintegrate pieces and parts that have been disintegrated by those hard parts in our stories and the process of reconnecting to them, lamenting them, expressing the appropriate emotions for them is actually in and of itself physically healing in the brain and the heart. think that also coupled with that is the necessity for a proper venue for that as far as like a community of people oh, sure i mean because if you can be aware and attuned to your own story but if you don't have a group or trusted people around you to share that with where can you go well we're going yeah i mean we're going back to Heartview, right mm-hmm. season two anxiety is an emotion right that's our second Heartview indicator mm-hmm. so in order to explore why we may be experiencing excessive anxiety, it's best to do that with God and a trusted friend. How many mm-hmm. times did we say that in season two? Right. Uh, or, or friends. So, yeah, I mean, deep discipleship is really not a journey to be taken alone in any context. But mm-hmm. certainly when it, when it comes to our control tendencies and our incredible need to either intellectualize something or control something so that we are able to uh, determine the outcome uh, or free ourselves or fix something that we may not be able to fix. There is a sense that this is really best done in a trusted group and not in isolation. In fact, Thompson makes the point that suffering as much as we can't, we can't always escape it. We can't always uh, undo it. We can't always find relief from it, but it still gets transformed if we invite others into our suffering and we experience that suffering as a community versus being in isolation. Suffering in isolation is hell. Yeah. Suffering in a community is transformative. If it's the right community. Yeah. Because again, I, as you were talking, I'm thinking about a lot of people who I'm sure have had the experience of sharing their story, being very vulnerable, being very intimate. And that was not reciprocated in the appropriate or in the kind or in the best way that it should have been. I mean, to love is to risk. Yeah. Uh, But certainly those trusted relationships can be found. They are found. They're fostered over time. I mean, in our greenhouse, we have fostered those relationships. It's Mm -hmm. taken time. Yeah. You know, the things that we talk about and discuss and wrestle with now, we didn't wrestle with in week one. Right. There was a period of several months where everybody was trying to feel themselves Mm -hmm. out and feel each other out and kind of determine, is this a safe place? Well, mm-hmm. you know, we've been doing it long enough where it has, it is a safe place. Everybody knows that. And so we're getting a much deeper, uh, more intimate, more transformative community now. And that's true in any, you know, sort of relationship. But mm-hmm. that trust, you know, this is where we, we sort of danced around this in episode 80 is not just an intellectual ascent. Thompson calls it trust in the chest. We feel it. We, it's something that is embodied and you know, it's a, it's a journey. And there are days where I feel, feel a trust in God. And there Mm -hmm. are days where I feel like I can't. Yeah. And that's, that's where it gets really challenging (laughs) is when you have those moments where you feel like you're right in the pocket with, with God and you're like, okay, we got this. Everything's going to be, it's, it's, you're going to equip me. I know that I can handle this. I know that I can do this with you. 
And then there's, a, there's the other days where you're like, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. And, or when it feels like this idea of releasing control feels lazy or it feels irresponsible when things start happening that we don't understand, or there's not a clear path, then that's when it gets really we start difficult. Right. We start wanting, right, exactly. Right. And it feels like that's the natural thing to do. It's like, okay, well, and again, M- Michelle and I were just reading in Genesis about with Sarai and Abram before their names were changed about, you know, that they had been waiting for 10 years and God still hadn't given them a kid, even though they said, he said, I'm going to bless you with, uh, with a child. And they're okay. 10 years go by and they're like, okay, well, he forgot or it's not happening soon enough. We're all, we're not getting any younger. So we got to take control. All right. Where's Hagar? Bring her up. So again, it's, it's, I was resonating with that because mm-hmm. 10 years, that's a long time. And it went much longer. Right. Right. And especially if you look at the season of life, it's not like they were in their twenties. It's like, Oh, okay. No, they're in their eighties and nineties. And so it's what, what's happening? What's going on, God? Why? So right there in that situation, that's a perfect example of what does release control mean? Am I waiting another 10 years? I mean, what does that look like? And then of course the doubt comes in and then you're thinking, okay, well I have to take control of this because God forgot or he's not doing what he said he would. Yeah, we should take great comfort in that story. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he's I mean, the father of many nations. Exactly. Um, so I think we can be kind to ourselves when we don't get it right. But mm-hmm. that's a perfect example where God clearly speaks, and they conclude that God has forgotten or is not showing up, and they take control and ends up having you know very difficult uh, results. And yet, mm-hmm. even even at the end of the story where the guys come and visit, you know, mm-hmm. the, the angel of the Lord and two other angels come and visit Abraham. And he's like, you know, they tell him again, this time next year, you're going to have a kid. And mm-hmm. he's like, you're joking. I'm a hundred years old. Right. My wife's 90 or yeah. 99, however old he was. Uh, it's hard. This is where, oh, this is where the trite verses and the mm-hmm. songs I, don't always resonate with me. Mm-hmm. Trust is so far beyond intellectual agreement. Mm. Uh, it is forged in the fires of relationship and suffering and perseverance. And as somebody, I, I joke that my, my God feeler is often seems broken. <laughs> um, who's, who has struggled with that mm-hmm. to feel, to embody that sense of surrender and trust in a God who I can't see. Oh, isn't always particularly clear. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, at times has let me down in very profound ways. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. And I don't think I'm alone. I, I I think if we were to kind of strip back the veneer of Christian politeness, many, many people, if they really sat down and thought about it, would say, you know what? There are days where I sort of think he screwed me mm-hmm. and yeah. where he's abandoned me. Oh. I mean, you've, you, I mean, you're talking about Job. You have, well, yeah, uh, yeah. Just read some per- of his right. comments. Okay. Yeah. So here in this, these are from the lips of Job in the midst of his suffering. When all this stuff is going down, your hands fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. That's, there's not much left to the imagination there. And were my head lifted up, you would hunt me like a lion and again work wonders against me. So that's like, even when I feel like I get a little bit of re- reprieve, re- relief or reprieve mm-hmm. and if things are going good, nope, you're going to slam it down and you're going you're gonna to bring the nastiness again me, on me again. You renew your witnesses against me and increase your vexation toward me. You bring fresh troops against me. It's just, okay, God, fine. Just straight, keep straight up accusation. Right. 
you're doing everything possible to screw me over. That's what he's saying. And he's just laying it completely out there. And I think there are so few of us, me included, who have been able to do that. Like talk, have a conversation like that with God. And at the same time, I would welcome those kind of conversations from my children. If they came to me and just laid it out and were like, I just feel there is, I, I might bristle at that or I might be like, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm, I'm hurting for you. I would so appreciate and feel an intimacy with them to have the comfortableness and the withness with me mm-hmm. is comfortable. It's not a word. You raise your eyes at that. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. We're going to go with it. Okay. So again, <laughs> the comfortableness. Of it. <laughs> Don't throw me down the chiasmus. Um, so uh, I, I, I have to believe that that's how God feels. But why, why do you, why would you receive it from your kids, but feel that you cannot go to God? with the Exactly. Same? That's my point. But why, why in your own heart would you say? Why is okay. that your experience? Because I think your experience is a lot of people's experience. Mm-hmm. Now, let me think about this for a second. Okay. okay. So why is it so easy for me why to Why would it be easy to accept negative emotions and from accusations from your children, but not express those same things to God when you, when you have that experience yourself? Maybe because I never had a relationship like that with someone older than me, and I felt comfortable doing that. Okay. The environment that in church that I, again, going back to what we talked about with laments and, and anger and frust, I was, I just remember being told and taught, you're not supposed to be angry. You're not supposed to be frustrated. It's yes, bad things happen, but it's always working out for good, which is true. But there was never any real connotation put with that. It was always ethereal. Like Mm -hmm. I never had somebody explain to me, I'm not just telling you this. I've lived this and let me tell you what it, what that looked like. I never had that. And so maybe that's why I, I, I just never had an opportunity to live that or experience that with someone in real life. Yeah. I think this is why community is so important because uh, being in a group of like-hearted people that are on that journey together is where sometimes those things are for the first time ever expressed mm-hmm. because here, here's the path. Job, didn't sin. I mean, he, he, he accuses God of coming after him. Right. He accuses God of screwing him and Mm -hmm. torturing him and forgetting him and abandoning him. Uh, and still, uh, God honors, respects, appreciates the authenticity and the heart behind Job's laments Mm -hmm. and ends up restoring him. The alternative is Anxiety, Mm -hmm. we're going to hold those things in, and we're going to start taking control. Mm -hmm. When our desires are broken, and sometimes they're broken by God, Mm. and we Mm. do not approach him or others in the right context with authenticity, and that includes our negative emotions, that is actually the healthiest path. Any other path is going to lead to harm. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that I think we're well, well attuned to in our modern Christian context. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Hmm. Later on, he says, how long will I take counsel in my own soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? He is expressing, David, an extraordinary loneliness, Mm -hmm. and he is placing his isolation on God. Mm -hmm. How long will you leave me alone? Mm -hmm. How long am I going to have to do this by myself? Mm -hmm. How long are my enemies going to be 
elevated over me. They're laughing at me. They are accusing me wrongly. How long are you going to let this happen? Because mm-hmm. you are the one letting it happen, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it is a theme and a tendency woven throughout Scripture. Yeah. And I, as you were saying that, I, I think my fear of that, it lament, like those kind of real, deep, raw laments, I'm worried that if I go there, I'm going to go over the cliff and somehow lose my faith or uh, walk away from God or by, by exploring that or going into that dark place, there's a fear that I will do something that he will be like, Whoa, what Mm -hmm. you went here? Oh, okay. Well, you stepped over the line. So now we're done. And he's washing his hands of me. That's, there's a fear of that. I'm not sure any of us could outdo Job in terms of the strength of our limits. <laughs> well, see, again, there it is. There, there might be some pride there that I'm like, how in the world can I possibly think? I have the Holy Spirit in me. I have felt and am feeling Jesus with me every single day. How could I possibly think that that's just going to go away? He's got me in his hands. But the, I think the point of... The episode is that disconnect, which we all experience at times. I'm sure of it. Mm-hmm. We tend to go back to our intellectual agreements and say, yes, but I intellectually trust God. Mm. We are integrated beings living in an integrated world, which means if our bodies and our souls, our spirits are not really in tune with that, we're going to be fragmented. Mm-hmm. And this is where the polite sayings and the I'll pray for you's don't work. That trust, that regaining of trust or that establishment of trust, that embodied sense of trust in our chests comes through experiencing relationship. Mm -hmm. And we most often experience our relationship with God through other people. Not all the time, but that usually comes through. Our, 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 Our felt connectedness to God usually is developed through our connectedness relationally to other people. Mm. which which makes the loneliness epidemic so undeniably un, uh, sad because there are so many people, including those sitting in churches, who, when pressed, would say, truly, I don't experience God or Jesus. I intellectually believe in him, but I do not have a context in which I am relationally and securely attached. I don't feel soothed, safe, secure, or seen. Mm. By God, yeah. even though I agree all, with all the statements about him and doing the hard work uh, and, and sometimes painful work of exploring the whys behind that. But that is the path to freedom. Do you think that people that are feeling that have just, they they're, just they're just dwelling in the first three stages and they've never taken the opportunity or been vulnerable enough to go into that inward journey and experience God in that way. Cause sure. I mean, he's, he's right there for all of us. I mean, he's there. Many many people are not aware that they're suffering. Hmm. Hmm. That's not a conscious thought. Many people who look like they have it all together, either inside or outside of a church are suffering from disconnectedness, from a lack of trust. They're not at peace. They're, they don't have that sense of abandonment to God felt in their belly, but they don't know it. Mm. That that connection hasn't been made, and when when somebody does, when somebody makes that connection, yeah, we have choices. Are we going to go back to stage one, two, and three? Introduced to God, learning about God, serving God, where it's relatively safe, and that's what most churches do. Or 
are we going to press into the wall? But that journey into the wall mm. is almost always painful. Mm. And and I'm a testament to having avoided it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and just recently sort of pressing into it. So, but it should be pressed into with certainly God and some people that have your back. And it's scary. I mean, it's scary to press into that because especially if you've been avoiding it, for so long or didn't even know that it was there. Well, I, I think your, your, your statement earlier is really important and we don't have to dig into it, but why would you accept and embrace the negative emotions and accusations of your children, but not feel as if you can do the same to your heavenly father? Mm-hmm. That is, that is an, that is an acknowledgement on your part of an area where you are not yet securely attached to your father. I completely relate to you. Mm-hmm. I think millions of Christians would also relate to you. And why is that the case? And how does your heart, not your mind, your heart come to be restored in that secure, attached relationship with the Father? Mm-hmm. And that's that's a journey that, unfortunately, in our age of prosperity and hectic schedules and craziness and performance, most souls are not taking that journey. But that journey is the path Ask Job to rest, peace, uh, bodily relaxation, truly, mm-hmm. a relief of anxiety, a relief of fear, a relief of some of the things that we struggle to talk about in church, uh, and a and a cementing of our holistic relationship with God, not just our our doctrinal statements. Well, and it's experiential too. I mean, because like you said, you wrote down those laments and you said, I I haven't been struck by lightning. And you've you've shaken your fist at God and had these conversations and you know that, well, he didn't strike me dead or he didn't turn his back on me or whatever. So the more that we do that, the more that we enter into that, then we see God is not turning his back from me. And again, right there at the end of Job, after he does all of this and he says, basically, God, you're doing everything you can against me because that's what you're doing. He says, for I know that my redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed yet in my flesh, I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. I mean, it's like he, he's going back to, even though, even in the midst of this, I know that my redeemer lives. I know that he loves me. I know that I'm going to put my eyes on him and I'm going to be in community and fellowship with him forever. Again, it's like the the analogy with my kids. I mean, when they come to me and tell me this and I don't blow up at them and I don't turn around and leave, and I but I deal with them, hopefully, in a loving, kind, gentle way, then they know, you know what, the next time this happens, I can go to dad with this. I can go and talk to him with this. So maybe it's more of a, I need to be more willing to express things that I'm struggling with because my tendency is to, again, it goes back to when you were asking about how do we, how do we exert control? How do we do you were very uh, open and sharing some things that, that you said, Mm -hmm. um, how do I take control of circumstances? Yes. Let me count the ways. Yeah. And so I actually listed some things that I struggle with and how I, how I exert control in situations and I please others for acceptance. (laughs) So that right there is a testament to, well, I don't want to, tick off God. So I'm just going to take it on the chin or be like, well, I deserve it. I mean, it's, you know, I'm supposed to feel this way because I'm broken. I'm flawed. I deserve whatever calamity or malady is happening to me. 
So I'm not going to get upset with him because it's ultimately my fault anyway. And maybe this is an invitation for, for me to come to him and be like, God, I don't get this. I don't understand. Why are you doing this? It doesn't make any sense. And there's a fear. And again, because I, I want to please and don't, don't get mad at me and leave. Don't do that, please. He's not going to leave. And I, I have to believe that and I have to trust that. But you might have to experience it. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's, it's a, the heart is frequently not in the same place as the head. Yeah. And our indicators, our right indicators bubble that up and our control mechanisms uh, will very often show a relationship which is not allowing ourselves to release control and to trust God fully. And the irony is, is that the path seems to be telling God what we think of him, even when we're not happy with him. Mm. And because he pursues us so gently and kindly, that is what reforges the relationship experientially. Again, yeah. usually through, not always, experiencing other people. Uh, you know, I found just meditating and considering the character of God to be so helpful to remind myself of his vastness and his creative, his creativity and his wonder just to kind of, kind of sit, whether it's in nature or in a, a book about him or just mm -hmm. sort of reflecting on that helps me kind of move in his direction with a more secure attachment uh, and there's, I mean, there's a thousands of ways that people experience God in mm -hmm. an effort mm -hmm. uh, to become more securely attached because, you know, he invites us to do that. Uh, and through that, we begin to release the reins and allow him to, mm. to free us, but also to, you know, to guide us. This is what's so mysterious, you know, about Jesus's insistence numerous times in the gospel that he was there to do the will of his father. And yeah. was a thousand percent secure in that, even though it meant his horrific death. I think the idea is that when we finally lay down our control, whether it's people-pleasing or conflict avoidance or conflict uh, causing, I mean, there's lots of different personality yeah. types, right? Yeah. Or characteristics of people based on their stories. When we approach God authentically mm -hmm. and we strip out the political correctness and the euphemisms and the trite sayings, it's, it seems to me that's where he says, oh, finally, mm. now it's time to get to work. <laughs> and I don't mean work in terms of having to do stuff. I mean, no, now yeah. it's time to securely attach this relationship. Yeah. But if we refuse or don't know to approach God with that level of authenticity, we, we are, in effect, sort of binding ourselves to um, a relationship that is not real not mm. fully realized it's a better mm. way to say it yeah and it seems to me at least from all i've read in my own experience that at those times where i come to him and by the way sometimes it's out of pure joy i mean it can go both ways mm -hmm. sometimes just gratitude joyfulness happiness delight and anger frustration uh rejection feelings of abandonment mm -hmm. the sense is oh brian you're finally here mm. Mm. Why don't you come in, sit on my lap, and let's let's work through this together? But it seems like until we lay down all those polite parts of our stories, we we to some extent enslave ourselves. Mm. That makes yeah. sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
All right, great episode. This was deep. Mm. Uh, we're definitely going to do this another one because I think there's more to explore here. My my guess is we're touching on some things that most of our listeners can relate to. Yeah. And uh, and many uh, may be saying maybe I should be relating to this and I'm not, and that's something worth um, exploring. Mm-hmm. So I think it's worth spending a few more weeks on. And I think Tim's going to come back. So yeah. we'll have a great yes. three-part conversation on mm-hmm. this as we explore how to release control. The point is to feel, embody, experience being seen, soothed, safe, and secure, as Thompson writes, in our relationship with Jesus, the Father, the Spirit. And that through that we find the freedom and the relief from our incessant need to either try to figure everything out or try to take control of everything, in my case, both. Mm. And and that is where we begin to experience the deeper pools of deep discipleship. And from what I can tell from people that I've experienced, um, I'm not there, but it's, it seems amazing. Mm. <laughs> I have a vision yeah. in my head. Yeah, I just, I'm not quite there yet. Mm. So thanks for being uh, vulnerable and sharing yeah, today, Kyle. Absolutely. Appreciate it. If you like the podcast, hey, share the podcast and rate it. Your rating and your comments about the podcast are so essential. It helps other people uh, realize that this is a place, a trusted place to be. Mm. That the things we explore here are good for our spiritual formation. They're good for our relationship with God, others, and ourselves. And so you taking just a few minutes to rate it on your favorite platform or to uh, give it a comment is so, so helpful. We invite you to join our Facebook page. Uh, you can find us at Soil and Roots Podcast. We post new episodes there. We're posting some other things there. We'd love for you to be part of that community because we all are about community here. Mm-hmm. And as always, if you just want more information on greenhouses or Soil and Roots, go to soilandroots.org and email us at fish at soilandroots.org. And we will see you next time.